0: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Yes, welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett, here with co host Reverend Michelle Jellinch. Together, we share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth. In your recovery journey
1: facebook users you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our facebook page spirit of recovery just click the send message button right below the banner each week on the show we'll respond to a listener question or comment and please be assured that your anonymity will always be respected so go ahead and let us know what's on your mind we'd love to hear from you
0: our show today is titled our true identity when we first get clean and sober, we may be overwhelmed by a sense of lost identity. Who am I if I don't drink, use, or fix others? The recovery journey offers an opportunity to heal this dismay and grow into an entirely new sense of ourselves. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on finding out who we really are and how our new identity can bring deep meaning to our lives and our life's work
1: so we'll begin today by sharing our experiences of that dismay what that felt like and then we'll move into the solution of realizing our true identity after the break we'll share exactly how uh, realizing our true identity helped us to move from that dismay into a meaningful life so dan Tell us about what that dismay was like for you, what that was and what that felt like.
0: You know what comes to mind first and and it comes to mind very quickly is I had for years and years and years, I don't even know for how long I was aware of this. I think I was unaware of it for a very long time, but still aware of it for quite a while uh, before I got on a recovery path is that the world Plain and simple, the world moved too fast for me. Mm. It was too fast. I I really felt like I needed an eighth day in the week <laughs> just to recover from what had transpired in in the previous days. You know, I I learned over time that I didn't really have um, what at least one teacher described as internal support for dealing with just sort of the regular ups and downs and emotional aspects of life but the way that it read to me was uh, and I was dismayed <clears throat> that, that quite simply the world moved too fast for me I felt like I didn't something was wrong with me I didn't belong I didn't fit in how is this even supposed to work I cannot I can't abide this you know I can't handle I can't even <laughs> I system. love that I can't even world moves too fast <laughs>
1: Oh, or as our dear friend Maggie Alderman would say, I just can't.
0: Yes, that's right. <laughs> I can't. It's a combination of can and ain't. You yeah. can't, but you ain't. ain't.
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know what? I have to say, and this is funny because this happens so often. I was the opposite of that. I <laughs> loved moving fast. I wanted to just run like the wind constantly. I don't know. If I had that energy back that I had in my early 20s, good Lord, I was uh, – you just running on full blast all the time. You know, I was, I had a lot of energy. I was extremely driven. Um, but a lot of that was, you know, I was running, but I was running from myself as well. Um, I was filling my life with a lot of ambition and achievement and things like that because I didn't want to feel the feelings I was having and I didn't want to stop and be still long enough to have to think about things or feel things. So I was just a doer, just very busy, just accomplishing lots of things, never sitting still. Um, I was being driven by full-blown perfectionism. I mean, really like probably almost diagnosable, you know, just like I think I've shared before, had to clean my house, t- my tiny little apartment. How dirty could it get? Had to clean it right. from top to bottom every single Saturday without fail just obsessive you know Um, that's the only thing I can think is that I was just I wasn't like we share so often in the program I wasn't comfortable in my own skin I didn't want to be still and be in my own skin and being busy and doing things and running fast kept me from having to feel that
0: that is a great reminder about how even though from what I'm hearing from your sharing is that our inner experience might not be, have been that different, but the way that it showed up, you know, just given our our different personality types was quite different. And that's a great reminder that we don't all respond the same way to things. In fact, we don't even perceive things the same way. Right. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. That's that whole, of course, uh, introvert-extrovert thing yeah. that must be going on. It's the, maybe it was people like you that were tiring me out. I'm not sure. I don't remember <laughs> it being about any particular person. Probably. It wasn't a person or even a group of people. It was just the world, period. Yeah. Just the world in, in general. So kind of an uh, expansion on that. Another phrase that comes to mind that describes my dismay uh, pretty well is that I felt Um, what I would say under siege. I felt under siege all the time. Maybe that's just another way of saying there's too much going on, but too much going on is sort of neutral. Like I'm looking out my window on a busy city street and there's a whole lot going on out there under siege feels personal, right? Like it's, it's, I'm suffocating. It's, it's detrimental to me. It's somehow I don't I don't want to say attacking because that's I think that's too strong. I didn't really feel that way. But still, it was somehow affecting me directly and not just in an, you know, an observational kind of way. And again, the, too much, too much going on, you know, feeling feeling under siege in the world like I just needed to lock all the doors and and block things off so that I could um, be OK. You know, that Uh I could function okay in the world because of just like too much input. And of course, again, and and I always say this completely unaware of that, totally unaware.
1: Oh, yes. That's what was
0: going on. But in hindsight, I see it pretty clearly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, this, these are awarenesses for the most part that we have, or that I have looking back. I was also not aware of any of this at the time. It just was the way I was. And then I was thinking, well, yeah, that's why we drank, right? Like you drank exactly. cause you need to get off of the roller coaster, You know, I drank because it was the only way that I would slow down long enough to be off of it for a while. You know, it's just.
0: It worked yeah. great, too. It
1: worked great. So, wow. it did. Well, it. <laughs> Got us through what we needed to get through. It served its purpose.
0: work till it doesn't.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, I was thinking of um, that, the whole idea of that losing our identity when we get clean and sober or when we cease from our active addiction. And I definitely had that fear of like, who will I be without alcohol? Like yeah. I didn't even, I couldn't even imagine. And it's strange to think that your identity is so caught up with a liquid that comes in a bottle, but it was, you know, it was like, what will I do? Where will I go? How will I act? Um, you know, and then all those fears that a lot of us have in early recovery, if we get sober young, you know, Oh gosh, I won't be able to drink at my wedding. And I, the things we worry about, you know, as if a wedding was anywhere on the horizon, right. <laughs> that's what we're worried about. Right. The ways that our life isn't going to be the way we thought it was going to be without alcohol. And so I did definitely feel that fear of that loss of identity. Now, the good news, and we'll get more into that later, is that I found a whole new identity that was so much better. But there was that feeling of dismay, like, oh my gosh, it's like cutting off my hand or something, you know? What will I be without this thing?
0: Totally. And, uh, and I resonate with what you're saying about Of course, alcohol as the solution for me, literally a solution, you know, not not spiritual, but spirits um, that helped sort of create the feeling, at least of a safe zone. You know, it it created a a way to escape, a a way to be comfortable that I could just reach out and draw on, you know, because, as I mentioned, I didn't have, for whatever reason, the internal supports for navigating the world, I reached out to external supports yeah. for it. And alcohol was, it was the perfect solution for so long. I mean, I i got sober in my mid-40s, so much late. But I thought exactly the same thing, not the wedding. I was already <laughs> on married my second time, and I hope was my last time. Uh, not so much the wedding, but the very same idea of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I won't be able to drink when we go to the beach or this or that, or that, it, I mean, it creates a new kind of dismay, you know, maybe it's the, it's the dismay that replaces the old dismay on the way toward healing. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I reached out for a substance and, you know, the other things as well. I, um, was nicotine addict, most oh, yes. of my life still am but i don't use any nicotine products anymore but it's only been a couple of years since that's been true Yeah, i smoked most of my life not entirely i mean there was a there was an eight-year period of time when i quit but ironically i started smoking again when i got sober but yeah. we started talking to people and they're like no that's not weird at all In fact, <laughs> of
1: course you had to put
0: down one thing so you're reaching for another thing and honestly it's way better because as uh, as i've mentioned and learned from a friend i deal with my addictions in the order in which they'll kill me fastest that's and right. alcohol was way at the top of the list and honestly smoking cigarettes hey man if it's going to keep me sober no problem it's way down the list from alcohol yes. eventually it rose to the top you know when that's just a sign of of i guess you know working and walking a path and uh, continued growth in sobriety and healing, and I'm grateful for it, although sometimes I'm still mad that I don't smoke and every once in a while, I'm getting a fight with my brain about uh, whether that would be a good idea or not. Uh, but you know I, how that is. We all yeah. know how that is, regardless of what our substance or behavior of choice that has left led us into recovery.
1: I love that, what you said, I deal with my addictions in the order in which they will kill me fastest, and I would say, and and the order in which they are most uh, profoundly affecting my life, too, you know, Um, and uh, the reason I say that is because I am a admitted caffeine addict and you are not gonna take that from me. And <laughs> I've had it suggested I had a therapist that suggested it to me and I was like, You don't deal with recovery folks much, do you? Who tells a addict in early recovery to give up caffeine? I mean uh, that's
0: or you need to quit bad. smoking. Yeah, that, no,
1: very bad advice. Very, very bad. Yeah, caffeine is not causing me to uh you know, do all kinds of morally questionable things. It, it so it's not it's not profoundly impacting my life like other substances would. So it stays. <laughs>
0: On the scale of problems, it's pretty dang small.
1: it's pretty compared low compared
0: to an alcohol addiction, or we could make a long list there. That's I mean, right. heroin, opiates, cocaine, you know, there's all kinds of things okay. that are just, you know many, many more times worse.
1: Worser. How's that that for English?
0: <laughs> yes, but now we know about this worser challenge of dismay, <laughs> what might the solution be? Well, as always, in unity, we affirm that all of life, all of life is governed by spiritual principles.
1: Yes, and these spiritual principles, they inform us about the nature of God, the nature of humanity, that's us, and the the relationship between the two.
0: And Unity's second principle addresses the nature of humanity uh, very cleanly, clearly. It states, our essence is of God, therefore we are inherently good. And this God essence was fully expressed in Jesus the Christ. It's this God essence that we carry, is that what we want to focus on today. But what does that look like in our lives? And that seems like kind of a high concept, a God essence that we carry. We also call it Christ consciousness, among right. other things. But what does it mean in practical terms to say that our essence is of God? What does that look like?
1: Wow. You- uh, so I love the second principle. It's uh, It profoundly changed my life. Uh, very hard to put it succinctly into words because it really was it created a whole new reordering of my worldview who I thought I was in the world what I thought my worth was um, what I what and who I thought God was and how I fit into that just total reordering of my entire worldview um, and thank God thank God for that. That was the best change in my life. So um and it's so hard to characterize our relationship to God. You know, in unity, we say that we are expressions of the divine. So we are we are sort of an emanation. The Fillmore's love to use all these wonderful antiquated terms, you know, sort of a, a an issuing forth from the source, <laughs> you know, I'll all these ways sure. that they described it. But, um, and I know some folks don't like the use of this term, but I still like to go with the old school, I'm a child of God, because that I know that it's bigger than that and it's more complex than that but that works for my human brain and the state of mind that I'm in most days um and I just was telling you I just preached on this on Sunday it was Father's Day and we were talking about that that aspect of our relationship with God which is like a child to a father one aspect of our relationship it's not the totality but it's one part of it and so what that meant was as a child of, I mean, I don't know about for you, but this was a revelation to me that I was a child of God and what that meant and how that began to change my feelings about myself, you know, in, uh, my active using, um, I, I had a lot of shame, just shame, you know, um, insidious, sort of subtle but deep shame, you know, I mean, I was a very out there person, very achievement oriented, I was popular, I was extroverted, but inside I had these feelings of not being good enough, of not being worthy, of not being lovable, And of course I didn't know that at the time that took years of therapy to figure out that that's what I was feeling because it was layered over with my extroverted Enneagram three personality, you know, it was layered over with this sort of bravado and ultra confidence. And, um, and it's not that those things are false, but they were, um, they were covering over this deep uh, shame and feelings of unworthiness that I had. And so, Realizing my identity as a child of God was just the beginning of starting to unpack all of that icky crap, basically. And it's a process that I'm still fully engaged to up to the present time.
0: Absolutely. And engaged I engage with with you. Yes. And uh, you. one thing that was sort of a revelation for me along the same lines is that, um, you know, in unity, we don't. We don't view humanity as inherently broken, right? right. Like irreparably at its very core. Right. We recognize that if you dig deeper than the dysfunction, and it is right. there, and I'll talk about that. Um, but the the core identity underneath it all is that we are of God, just yes. like the second principle says. And therefore, because God is good, we are inherently good. That's right. Now, that statement can sound very strange to somebody who's not versed in in what we're talking about. Because if right. you look around at the world, it certainly doesn't look that way. Right. And if I take the time to look within myself, you know, that's a door I want to shut pretty fast because <laughs> it doesn't look that way in there either. Right.
1: Yeah. It's
0: like what I say: my mind is a rough neighborhood, then you don't want to get. You don't want to hang around in there very often.
1: Go down any but, dark alleys. No,
0: right. <laughs> but the truth is that underneath all of that, which we're so reluctant to look at or even acknowledge, let alone look at, underneath all of that is this spark of the divine that we would never realize if we weren't willing to to look, to open that basement door, to go down there and start cleaning stuff out. And that is one of the gifts of recovery yes. is that, uh, my hand was forced, you know, I don't know anyone who would undertake that work willingly. No, Right. But you say, you know, well, you can do this or you can die in a box on a, scale <laughs> in an alley. It's like, okay, maybe I'll do this, but you know, I'll do only, only as much as I absolutely have yeah. to right. So very, very reluctant. Uh, not wanting to let go of my old way of being, but uh, realizing that I am not inherently broken. Now I do have uh, notable dysfunction. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that I'm outwardly uh, perfect. I have, I uh, carry false ideas. You know, I, I have a limited view. I have um, things that I can work on. I have dysfunction, but that doesn't mean that at the very core of my identity that I am somehow bad or broken. It means I have work to do. And of course, the image that's so helpful for that is the image of the golden Buddha statue that's covered up with mud, Mm. right? You cannot see the gold. If someone told you there's gold under there, you still can't see it. You'd say, no, there's not. I, I don't lie to me. I see what's right in front of my face. It's painfully obvious. This right. is just a big wad of mud and you're nuts. Well, guess what? Underneath the mud is the golden Buddha statue. And the mud cannot, does not, and cannot change the gold. It right. can't. It's yeah. not possible. It's just, um, it's just obscuring it. And so our spiritual work can be seen as cleaning off the mud. Or I I like sometimes to think of it that we each inside of us have a million watt light bulb, but that light bulb can be covered with a lot of junk. And so it's not feeling like it's shining quite to its million watt potential. But if we're willing to undertake the painful work of cleaning it off, Uh of doing our spiritual growth work, then it becomes uh, more apparent outwardly that it's doing uh, what it's always done inwardly, which is just shine and shine and shine.
1: Yeah, you know, that's something that really sets unity apart from other denominations. A lot of us grew up in traditions where we heard repeated over and over that we were a sinner or we were sinners. And I totally get what is meant by that. I think it may have once had a much higher meaning than it has come to mean um, for me to say I'm a sinner means that I'm currently incarnated in an imperfect human body. But we don't talk like that in unity. We, and we don't talk about original sin. We talk about original blessing and original goodness. So we come from the place of, you know, assuming um, that inherently we are good. Now I love that you mentioned that that doesn't mean that we are just happy, happy, wonderful, wonderful all the time, you know? um, So, You know, you mentioned Robert Brummett, and I love him. And one of the terms I've heard him use is double vision. So Mm -hmm. in unity, we are required to hold a double vision at all times. So we see that there is at once a spiritual realm and a material realm. And that exists in the cosmos, and it exists within me. So I am at once fully spiritual and fully human. Sounds kind of like the... um, council of Nicaea, right? (laughs) Jesus was at once fully human and fully divine, fully spiritual. So it means there is that aspect of me, which is perfect and whole and complete and good, a perfect child of God. But I'm showing up in a human body with an ego. And I don't always show up materially as perfect and whole and good. So in that sense, you could say I'm a sinner, although we don't like to use that because it has such negative connotations. But it means that I'm imperfect. But it's, it's, a, it's such a paradox, like so many things in spirituality, because I know that my spiritual nature is perfect and whole and complete. It means that it's okay for me to show up as an imperfect human. And so that's what really began to shift in me in early recovery. I had so much shame about being imperfect and I wanted to be perfect that I tried to keep my surroundings perfect all the time to try to prove how perfect I was. When I began to learn that my spiritual nature was perfection, I began to accept that my human nature didn't have to be perfect. And I don't know if that makes sense to anyone else, but it was a profound realization to me that I did not have to be perfect. That it it was okay to make mistakes. I don't know how whose fault it was, it doesn't really matter, but somehow I did not learn that growing up yeah. that it was okay to make mistakes. And so, learning my inherent, you know, truth as a child of God meant that I could start to be okay with my human errors. It's okay, I can make a mistake. We all make mistakes. I don't, it may sound weird, but that was news to me. <laughs> it was news yeah. to me. I don't know if my parents were perfectionists or somehow it comes from my personality or what, but, um, it was not okay with me to, I couldn't admit mistakes. Um, I, if I made a mistake, I felt like completely flattened by it. So to start learning that it was okay for me to be an imperfect human and make mistakes because my truth, my true full nature is as a perfect child of God. That was game changer for me completely.
0: You know, what other denominations uh, call sin, and that is a word that we don't use a lot in unity, although we do carry the concept and have an understanding of it. Um, I've heard it described, or what was most helpful to me is uh, sin, S-I-N, is a spiritually ignorant notion, right? It's any idea that I'm carrying that is not of God, that is not true in the deepest Uh, sense. And certainly I'm carrying a lot of ideas that are not the truth of God, um, so to speak. And so I'm carrying a lot of notions, right, ideas in my head that are spiritually ignorant. S-I-N, spiritually ignorant notion. The difference is that it's not a moral failing, right? It's not a moral judgment. We don't see God as an ethical judge, right? right? We see God as um, the same everywhere for everyone, all love, all the time, and that really is a revolutionary idea, at least in the West. You know, the, in the Eastern spirituality, it's a, it's a given that everyone has the spark of the divine uh, deep within them. But in Western, in the Western world, that that is not, um, you know, found in. Uh, in, in at least orthodox christianity it's certainly found in other places but let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break and when we come back we'll consider, uh, continue the conversation so we do hope that you please stay with us Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
1: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery.
0: Welcome back indeed. We are glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co host, Reverend Michelle Jellage. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but we first want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment. And be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind.
1: So prior to the break, we were discussing uh, first that dismay that we felt uh, maybe during active using or in early recovery. And then we talked about um, the second principle in unity and our true identity as divine beings. So now that we have discussed both the dismay of early recovery or using, and we know that the solution is to realize and know our true identity as divine beings, Let's talk, Dan, about how we actually, um, how we did that, how we used our realization of that true identity to move into a much more meaningful life.
0: Well, what comes to mind first for me, when I think about that, how, what, you know, how does it help me move from that dismay that we're talking about to uh, a life of meaning? The, the first thing that I realize is that it gives me a path forward uh, from, you know, even in the most difficult circumstances, so rather than feeling like I'm just sort of free-floating in in pain, you know, or dismay, uh, it gives me a, some sense of structure and some concept of, you know, what does it mean to move forward? You know, if I'm if I were going to put one foot in front of the other and make an effort to heal, what what would that look like? Like, where am I walking? You know, what is going on? So realizing my true identity as, uh, as you said, a child of God, uh, gives me a path forward in even the most difficult circumstances. Now, uh, that's, uh, I'm very aware of that, at least in part from some counterexamples, like um, i I've been married a couple times. The second one seems to be sticking. It's been 26 <laughs> years now. Oh,
1: I don't want goodness. to
0: make any assumptions, but it's, <laughs> this one's working out okay.
1: One day at a time. Um,
0: and you know, and the first one was uh, short and 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 troubling. But when I got divorced all those many years ago, I did not have any of this. In fact, if I'm if I think about it, I'm honest that the time of that divorce is when I. I think I graduated to daily drinking at that point. I had just been sort of a heavy weekend drinker, but I, to manage the pain of that divorce, I really think that that's when I uh, turned the corner and became a daily drinker, which I was for the next, I don't know, 20 plus years or something like that. But I didn't have anything like this. I didn't have a sense of the path forward. I didn't have a way to deal with that pain. I didn't know what to do. But I'm so grateful today that uh, having this, um, what we're calling realizing our true identity does give me a path forward. You know, and if I were, for whatever reason, just sort of hurled back into that exact same circumstance, now I'd be just fine.
1: Yeah. A path forward. I mean, that makes me think of hope, you know, of having hope. In order to move forward, we have to have hope and realizing our true identity can be part of, you know, regaining that sense of hope, hope that life could be different, hope that life could be good. And I'm thinking about what a meaningful life is. You know, I know today my life has deep meaning, but I'm trying to sort of think what exactly is it that gives it that meaning? And I think the meaning really began when, like what I mentioned in the last segment, when I began to understand and step into my inherent worth as a child of God that began to give my life meaning. Um, it meant that I was infinitely lovable. And that was something that, um, again, took me a lot of therapy to uncover this, but I learned that deep inside, I didn't feel lovable. I didn't feel like I was worthy of love. Um, you know, and so, uh, my particular way of dealing with that was to was to swing the other way and try and prove to anyone and, you know, everyone exactly how lovable I was. And so that was not working out real well for me. (laughs) And, but I, so I, I thought that I was super lovable, but I realized that I really didn't feel lovable. And so, you know, in unity we say that God is love and, and that God is that force of love. And if we are, um, expressions of God, then we too are expressions of love. And um you know, I love I think I might have mentioned this last week. Richard Rohr says that God loves things by becoming them. Yeah. God, I love that man. God loves things by becoming them. And so incarnating into human beings, as well as trees and, you know, dogs and bats and rivers and everything that we see around us, um, incarnating was an act of love for God to become Material was an act of love because God loves things by becoming them. And so uh, we are love. We come from love. And for me, that was the beginning of healing that deep belief that I was unlovable. And, of course, for me, this has really been a healing journey. Um, Life has become meaningful as I've healed more of those things that were really uh, making me miserable, pretty much.
0: I love that, too. I also love Richard Rohr. Yeah. And that's reminding me um, of another core tenet of unity. And I, I, maybe my favorite way that I've heard it expressed was by you know my first Unity minister. It was Chad O'Shea. Uh, I, I feel like I can still remember where I was sitting and see him standing up talking and saying, "We don't um, we don't deny you know the uh, divinity." of Jesus, we don't refute the divinity of Jesus, but we will refute the exclusive divinity right. of Jesus, because Jesus exhibited it so clearly that those around him really, I mean, the impression that I get from reading the Gospels is that the people around him fairly quickly realized there is something really, really important going on here. This yeah. guy is not like other people. I've never seen yeah. anything like it in my life. You have got to come here and talk. Mm-hmm. It'll change your life. Yeah. And that's God showing up in Jesus, in Incarnating yeah. in Jesus, where in unity, uh, we will claim that Jesus is not the only human being that God shows up in, but he certainly showed up very clearly in Jesus. He shows up in the rest of us, perhaps not quite so clearly. So maybe right. Jesus was the Buddha, the golden Buddha statue with no mud on it. If I could like right. totally mix traditions Right. right. But our our golden, my golden Buddha statue has mud on it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like the idea that might uh, a little patch of it shine through here or there. But it's, uh, you know, it becomes a lifetime practice. But Jesus then is the great example, not the great yes. exception. And yes. Jesus is to be followed, That's right. which means not just walk, not not just trot behind and listen to, but yes. live like do as the teacher does. Yep. You know, it, it's so much deeper than just any kind of admiration or even devotion. You right. know, when, when Jesus says, if, if you pray any of this in my name, you will have it in my name. doesn't mean to say the words that include right. my name. It means if you could do it, if you could become the, take on the very nature, if you could see how I see which yeah. is how God sees That's right. all you you would instantly know this yep. that you know there is nothing that you cannot do. So to do something in Jesus' name means to do it from Jesus' point of view. Mm-hmm. And that is extraordinarily hard to do.
1: Yes. Well, I love that you brought up Jesus and it's true, you know, in unity, we, one of the ways I've heard it described is that, um, we differ from Jesus, not in kind, but in degree. So I think that can be confusing because when we say, oh, you know, we're, we're fully divine, just like Jesus was, it can tend to, I mean, it doesn't raise us up. What it does is brings Jesus down, kind of waters Jesus down a little bit. Right. Um,
0: for some people, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not saying that we are showing up anything like Jesus. I'm certainly not claiming that about myself. I I have the potential to, but um, will I get anywhere even near that in this lifetime? Probably not. But it means that the potential is there. And I like your metaphor about the, the Buddha, you know, with the mud, that it's, it's under there. But, um, you know... I'm probably not going to get all the mud off in this lifetime. And Jesus, for whatever reason, was walking mud free from the get go, you know, yes. And so he is that perfect example. And of course, you know, and again, Richard Rohr, he says over and over, Jesus invited us to follow him. And instead, we set up an altar and we worshiped him, but we didn't follow him. We didn't step into what he was asking of us. And, um, you know, of course, he said, you will do all these things and even greater things. So it's very clear that his intention was for us to follow him. A lot easier to just worship him and hold him up on a pedestal and think that we can never come anywhere near.
0: Exactly. It's it's an out. It's It's an an out. out.
1: That's right. It's an excuse. Yes. And so, again, um, as I mentioned, I was healing from many things. I continue to be healing from many things that I was not lovable. Another thing I was healing from was that um, I was not good enough. And so, again, this realizing my true identity – as a divine expression of God, um, helped me to heal from that not feeling good enough because it gave me an inherent sense of worth that could not be earned. So to understand this, again, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I feel like I have to earn things by performing and being wonderful and being um, accomplished and competent. And that's how I've always gotten my sense of self-worth. But this new realization, this second principle of unity is telling me that I am inherently worthy regardless of anything I do. It has nothing to do with what I do or how I show up or what I accomplish or what degrees I have or anything. It just is. Now, that's that's a pretty hard concept for for this one to understand um so it's something that i continue to try to wrap my mind around because i continue to want to place my worthiness in material things you know um my my profession my you know whatever just you know very material things and um this is asking me to believe in my worth as being absolutely inherent as as an expression of the divine and nothing can be done to earn it and nothing can be done to lose it. And so that's something that I still work with today. Um, but it was the beginning of deep healing for me.
0: And all this really is, and and even in our, our question that that we asked, uh, which is, you know, how how has realizing my true identity helped me move from dismay to a meaningful life? And as you share, I'm reminded that th- it very much brings deep meaning to mm-hmm. our experience. Uh, to realize these things that we're talking about and and one out you know out picturing of that if you will or or sort of a nut, the next step is that it helps me to look for and see all these things in other people Right mm-hmm. I'm not the only one we we talk about it always in very personal terms. you know, we use I a lot in unity when we're talking about um, the divine and all these kinds of concepts that we're talking about because of course, each of us experiences it within our own um, uh, you know individual self, right. but it is equally true for absolutely everyone, right. No one's any better or worse than anyone uh, with regard to these things. and so knowing that, helps me to look for this and see this in others. You know, we talked yeah. a little bit about the the three faces of God, way of seeing well the and and how it maps to the trinity, the father, son, the holy spirit. So the holy spirit is how I experience God within myself. And the, the sun is how I experience God in other people. So mm-hmm. if I see God, quote, shining out from somebody, you know, Richard Rohr or, or the Dalai Lama or, or whoever it might be the Pope or whatever, um, you know, that I am seeing God from a particular perspective, you know, yes. second person perspective, you. Yeah. And that, that maps to um, God, the sun. And so this, this core concept, of our inherent goodness and realizing my true identity helps me realize that it's your true identity yes. also no more and no less than yes. my own, truly a, a flat playing field. And if I'm wonderful, you're wonderful, you know, and I don't yeah. need to compete uh, with you or, or with anyone. We, we all have that, you know, it's reminded of the word grace as you spoke that sort of that sort of unearned, unearned. favor. It's unearnable. Even I want to, I always feel like I want to go a little further. It's not, I mean, it is a gift in that there it is, and but there's nothing that I do to make it happen. And there's nothing I can do to make it go away. It just is. It's unearnable and undismissible. And it's the same for you and me both and for everyone.
1: Yes. Thank you for that reminder. Um, This selfish recovering alcoholic over here forgets that there are even other human beings on the planet, frankly. Me too. Um, Me too. It is all about me that I forget to say that. It is all about me. But we learn that in the rooms too, right? We have a term that gets used a lot that we learn to be right-sized. And what I love about right-sized is it means not just that I'm not bigger than you. It also means that I'm not smaller than you. So I'm not any better than you, and I'm not any worse than you. I'm right-sized. And that is, again, a concept that I have to continue to work with all the time because, you know, my nature is to compare myself right away. When I meet someone, I'm sussing them out. Is this person smarter than me or less smart than me? Are they, you know, accomplished as me or less accomplished than me? I mean, you know, and just it's human nature, but it's something to be aware of and to, you know, try to keep in check that, Um, And that's what this principle tells us, that we all have the same inherent value and worth. You know, one of the most powerful things I ever did was begin to try to live from the saying that we have in unity, I behold the Christ in you, um, to, to begin to look at people and say that in my mind, say that within myself, and to truly begin to get it on a more visceral level, uh, not just a heady intellectual or platitude level, but to be able to look at a human being and say, I behold the Christ in you. You are just as much an expression of the divine as I am It'll change your life if you really try to do that, you know, and it's it's challenging, but it definitely shifted my understanding of this second principle. Now, in my own personal theology, this extends to all beings, not just human beings. Um, In fact, even what we would call non-sentient beings. I believe that everything around us is an expression of the divine. So trees and rivers and um, everything, everything that I see. And, you know, go out and take a walk in nature and even for just a couple minutes, try and really get that, that every single thing you see is an expression of the divine. Um, it's a profound exercise uh, that when I began to, to try to see the world in that way, it really changed things for me. And it's a challenge. It's again, it's Robert Brummett's double vision. It's hard to walk around like that all the time. You know, I think if you do walk around like that all the time, like Jesus did, maybe you ascend or something because it's 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 just difficult to be a human being and be that fully anchored into both. Realms, you know, we kind of have to dwell a little more in the human realm in order to be able to feed ourselves and take care of our homes and our children, you know, but we can do it for periods of time and get that real knowing and then that bleeds over into our daily life.
0: Yeah, I love that way of seeing it, you know, it. it and I'm sitting here thinking in a sense, at least from where I sit, I'd you'd have to be a little unhinged really to To do that fully from where I sit, that's how it might look, you know, like a little like, I don't know, that guy's a little, that's a little wacky. I mean, that if you're really living that point of view, what a different world uh, I would be experiencing. And so, yes, I might, I might feel like I'm a a little, uh, I'm floating a little free here. I'm a little unhinged, but I think that that's part of it. That's just what it looks like from where I sit, you know, covered covered with some mud and all that. So another aspect of realizing my true identity helps me uh, move into a meaningful life is that it gives me what I think of as a place to return to, some kind of home base, some solid ground that my life is predicated or built upon. And I'm not just free floating out in the world, um, you know, any way the, the wind blows, so to speak. Right. And the phrase that I've heard that that helps me with that is, that I return to that which called, and in a sense, I believe that we're all called. We're all called by uh, God to show up in this world the way that we do, and you know what we do with that call is up to us uh, individually. But I believe that it's there. It's that still small voice that we read about and in the prophet Elijah. It's that. It's that God calling that we can hear if we're willing to turn within or what uh, Reverend Eric Butterworth was talking about in his book, the universe is calling yeah. and through prayer is how we hear it. Mm-hmm. And then of course we get to decide I can ignore it. If I want, I can take it up. I can mm-hmm. really strongly identify with it, but I love that having, you no, know, that realizing my true identity gives me a way to return always to that which called. And it is, yeah. it is 100% reliable, You know, unlike anything else, the weather's not reliable. If what, you know, if what I mean is I need it to be a certain way, hey, maybe that way and it may not. Although in California, maybe more often than not, (laughs) it's the way that you want it to be. But you know what I'm saying? And I love that about this way of living and realizing uh, my identity in this way.
1: You know, you were saying um, that it's so difficult to try to see from where we sit what it would be like to live that way. But I believe that that's what Jesus was showing us. What Jesus
0: Yes, calling to us. us to do.
1: Jesus was saying, this is what, it, I mean, and, you know, so, so obvious, like with a billboard, this is what it looks like to live this way. Love your neighbor as yourself, you know, forgive easily, turn the other cheek, be kind. I mean, Jesus was saying, this is what it looks like, people. Wake
0: <laughs> Just, up, wake up.
1: The, Like you always say, the Sermon on the Mount. Just look at the Sermon on the Mount. Just look at the Beatitudes. Jesus is saying, this is the way. This is the way. And it's almost too simple for us to see it. (laughs) Simple, but not easy. Not easy. But I believe that that prescription is contained in the Gospels. That this is how you live this out in a real way. We just have to step into it and do it. But it's, yep. it's, not
0: it's easier said than done but I love like you're sharing I love seeing it there and yep. doing it to the best of my ability but let's change gears now and turn our attention to a question or a comment from you our listeners here's a question that often comes up I don't believe in God I don't know I've heard this in, <laughs> in recovery rooms I don't believe in God how can I be part of 12-step recovery Michelle what do you think
1: Oh my goodness. This could be a whole talk in itself. Um, you know, the good thing is that you don't have to believe in God, uh, as you may be thinking of it, and you don't even have to use the word God, nobody's going to require anything of you, either in unity or in 12-step. You know, it's, it's up to us to grapple with and evolve that understanding of God that um, fits us. And I guarantee it will change over time. It's not a static thing. So, um, you know, what we always say, look within look within the answers are within Um, and looking within can mean being in nature. For me, it very often means being in nature. It doesn't mean sitting in Lotus position, you know, going om. That's not, um, you know, the only way to do it. It's not even usually my way to do it. Um, But we can look within and we can begin to find that concept of, and call it something different. If God doesn't work for you, call it HP, call it higher power, call it great spirit, call it divine mind source. God doesn't care what you call God. You know, all of those words are just barely pointing at what the true nature of God really is anyway.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the well, the drinking phrase BYOB, right? <laughs> like you'd see that on party invitations. But of course I did it anyway, whether someone <laughs> said to or not, I didn't want to run out. But BYOG, right? We can bring your own God. Yeah. No one is asking, as you said, no one is asking, like, uh, it may seem like some people are. And actually, there may be people that are, but you can ignore them. Yeah, ignore you them. can come up with your own concept that works for you. And, and like you said, uh, Michelle, you can use HP, uh, turn within and do some discovery, take a walk in the woods. You can just literally make something up and yeah. see how it feels. I mean, it sounds... Silly, but I'm telling you from personal experience, it works. You can borrow someone else's yep. concept. You can try it on for size. You can do what we call act as if and see what happens.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, as always, we like to offer you an affirmation that you can use to solidify and take deeper some of the concepts we've talked about today. And so today, our uh, affirmation is about really stepping into and owning that inherent nature that we have of divine beings. So I know my truth as a unique expression of divine love.
0: That's a wonderful statement of this identity that we've been talking about. I know my truth as a unique expression of divine love or as God's love. I like that too. I could say I, I know my truth is a unique expression of divine love. Grateful for that. Well, guess what? It has <laughs> happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to spirit of recovery, and we are certainly grateful. We hope you found something in all of our yammering that will be genuinely helpful to you in your recovery. That's our fondest wish. And thank you, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion, and thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey.
1: And listeners, if you'd like, you can always connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host.
0: And don't drink like my co-host.
1: Instead, go and have yourself a wonder-filled week.